It's time for Heatwave Sports. Sit back and relax as you take a tour around the world of sports each and every Saturday and Sunday night. And now, your hosts for Heatwave Sports, Tim Unglesby and Tom Barton. Back at it here on Heatwave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Joining us this Saturday night, always, Tim Unglesby and my co-host, partner in crime, from TomBartonSports.com, Tommy Barton. And we're going to talk to big sports tonight, right? We're in championship month, as I like to call it. You got the NBA, the National Hockey League. Those titles will be determined by the end of the month of June. And we have a... A extra time tonight that we're going to be able to really dig into some Major League Baseball. But with that all being said, let me bring in Mr. Tom Barton. Tommy, uh, we got them both nights this weekend. You got the crew intact. Looks like we're having a problem hearing Tommy. That's all right. We'll, we'll get him uh, situated here, talk about it. Tim, can you hear me? There we go. There he is. Oh, I've been talking regular the whole time. So what I was saying is... <laughs> is that we're going to have an NBA champion, we're going to have an NHL champion, and Tim, um, we always can talk about Major League Baseball, but it's not that far away from all of a sudden, we got to start talking about some football. I mean, we are basically two months away from starting our NFL previews. Yeah. Oh, and college football as well. It comes fast. It it does. The, The downtime is literally, it seems like, July, right? That's pretty much it. Yeah, you know, you have July, but at the, at, especially this year, you look at July, and this is something I'm sure we'll get to in the next two days. You look at July and you go, this July could be absolutely bonkers when you're talking about trades in Major League Baseball. I don't think teams are going to wait into, uh, you know, too late into the season. I don't think that we're going to get early, uh, real early kind of trades, but trades are going to happen. There's a lot of teams that are out of it. A lot of teams that have premier talent that want to get into it. I think July could be insane when we're talking about trades. Before we get into these sports, just because we have to have some some sign of, of uh, hu- humanity here, Tommy, about us, since people always say, well, especially me, just you're out there. People know who Tom Barton is. A lot of times it's, it's about we don't know a lot about you guys, but for let's just take you for instance, Tom, for the holiday week, which we just entered or ending now, you took the, the, the family out on a vacation again, man. Memorial Day week. Yeah, went to Disney again. <laughs> um, it seems like we always go to Disney, but you know, it, it's funny because people say, I go to Disney a lot. My wife absolutely loves it. I am iffy, <laughs> right? Um <laughs> But when you have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old, you seem to go often. I mean, it's just it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, the, the just just the generations that we have and the the rides there. I mean, my four-year-old was on every big ride. You know, she's riding Splash Mountain. She's riding Test Track over in Epcot. Um, she's she's obviously riding the Frozen ride. She's riding Soarin'. She's riding every big ride. She was upset she couldn't ride the brand new Guardians of the Galaxy, which just opened up. She she was upset. She wanted to go ride that. Um, 
a lot of people don't have, you know, kids that, that ride the ride. So if we're going to do it, we'll do it the right way. And, and we, you know, we go to Disney. We, uh, I give up that vacation because it's not a vacation for me, <laughs> but I absolutely do really, really enjoy just kind of hanging out with them the entire weekend. It's always fun. This time we stayed a little off property. So it was a little bit, um, a little bit different. It, it was kind of on property. They claimed it was on property. Tim, it's not on property. Uh, it was, uh, a, a unique experience. Let's just say that it was more of a, they try to bill it as, Oh, look, you know, you're kind of in a resort style, but everything was a little bit more unaccessible this time around. So I came home and everyone said, how was it? And I said, I, I need a vacation, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I came home and I immediately, yeah, I need a vacation. Uh, the, the saving grace of that trip was though, Tom, that you didn't have to drive it this time. You actually flew. I prefer driving at this point. I, I mean, <laughs> you know, have you have you dealt with the Orlando airport ever, Tim? No. It has got to be the worst airport in America. And I know a lot of people are going to scream Chicago O'Hare, right? Um, I, I know LAX could get rough. I know that that uh, LaGuardia is terrible to leave from. JFK has been rough. Uh, you know, there there are some bad ones out there. I'm not going to tell you. And Atlanta's a mess. Uh, but Orlando Airport is the absolute worst. And and. I, I almost, you know, I look at it like this and, and tell me if I'm crazy. And my mom thinks I'm nuts when I tell her things like this. I look at it like this. If I leave at the prime time and we always have the ability to leave, you know, me and my wife both work from home. Um, my mom's retired. You know, we, we have the ability to leave anytime. If we leave at the perfect time, Tim, I've gotten to Disney in 17 hours. It's about an 18 hour trip, 19 hour trip. Okay. So it seems like a lot. And let's just call it, let's call it 18 hours to be fair. Tim, you got to be at the airport two hours early, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's a three hour flight. And then it's an hour and a half afterwards, almost two hours to get back to Disney itself. And you got to leave for the airport about an hour early. So you're talking about leaving an hour early, tack on two to be at the airport three hours early, you know, two hours early. That's three, three hours in the air. That's six. Two hours to get back to the hotel, that's eight, probably closer to nine. You're you're exhausted. You're dealing with, you know, the airport and the, the nonsense. To me, I'd rather drive, Tim. Nine, ten hours of airline flight or 18 hours in the car, I'll take 18 hours in the car. Yeah, I, I think for driving purposes, because you're like me, you kind of get zoned in, and, and we're, we're the masters of the domain to where – we can listen to what we want to, right? Whether it's music, whether it's podcasts, whether it's local radio throughout states you're going through. It's almost sometimes it's an adventure to, just to realize what you're going to get as you cross into different cities across the country. And, you know, the kids and the wife, they got to sleep, right? You, Me and you, we're, we're just kind of animals. We just zone in and just go. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, the kids, I can't say anything. I mean, my kids are fantastic in, in the airline. I mean, they, they are just phenomenal you i go basically i go to sleep and they're still awake i mean and they're they're fine they're, they're perfectly fine in, in uh, the airport so i can't say that they're bad on the airline uh, but if they sleep through most of it you know they go to sleep you you leave at night right around their bedtime you wake up you're 12 hours in you know my kids got an 8 30 bedtime they usually sleep by 9 9 30 reality um it takes you know, they wake up they wake up seven eight o'clock you're 10, 11, 12 hours in. I mean, you're already basically you know, getting into Georgia or into Florida. Why not? I'll do it every time. Now, look, the reason why we flew this time is because airfare is uh, so cheap if you leave on the right days. 
And, well, not to get into political stuff, Tim, but the economy's not doing so good and gas prices are a little high. So we decided to fly. And we all know Tommy, just in case. Mom's always packs that little Mountain Dew for you if you need that last kick to get there. You know? <laughs> yeah, all the time. It's funny. I ate, uh, I ate peanut M&M's on the, on the flight this, this time. I am not a candy person. My daughter looked at me. You're eating candy? She was she was stunned. I said, yeah, it's Mountain Dew if I'm driving. It's uh, you know peanut M&M's if I'm flying. It's my little treat of the week. Sports-related questions since you mentioned um... – Disney, do they still have what is it the the Wide World of Sports venue out there? Is that part of the Epcot or is that separate? No, they have the ESPN zone though. ESPN. And it's funny because um, we had a park day planned. We we tried to make a couple of non park days, and the park day, I, I forgot to text you this. I can't believe I, I we're talking about it on the air. The park day that I was there, they said that they were having a ESPN zone at the ESPN zone. They are having two thousand people there for the beach volleyball tournament. And I said, oh, my goodness, Tim loves beach volleyball. I got to go down there. But we actually had a park day planned for that day, so I wasn't able to make it. Tom, I love women's beach volleyball. This is, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I do, too, for reasons, Tim. Right, right. <laughs> you, right actually, you actually enjoy the sport. <laughs> I, I do, and, and I do watch the men's side of it, but I, I like the women's side better. So Yeah. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right, so. With championship month beginning. Wait, wait, Tim, what did you do for your Memorial Day? Oh, yeah, thank you. thank you. See, that's why people don't know anything about me, Tom. I just breeze right through it. Yeah. What did I do? Uh, you're we you're mysterious. The mysterious analytical one. That's what I've been called, yes. <laughs> uh, we, did the barbecue, we did the barbecue at home, and the kids are out, out of school out here for, for the summer already. So i uh, just been just been hanging out at home. And good thing next week is – the little one goes to some type of school camp, so she's gone for, well, not gone, but she's gone during the day for a week. And as you know, the the superstar baseball player, he's 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 back in club ball, so he's playing his his uh, tournaments. But I, I thought you would like to hear this. He actually tried out for, so he's eighteen. He's six. He's going to be sixteen, but he tried out for the eighteen or sixteen under Team USA. And we'll know tomorrow, actually, if he got through the first round of tryouts. So. Wow, that is cool. That, that is cool. very cool. I can't wait till we're ha- we're having to interview him on here. Yes, yes, we'll have him in the studio if they ever allow us back in the studio. But that that's another yeah. thing, you know. <laughs> we'll, so we're gonna have a basketball champion here pretty soon, and it's the NBA. And you know what, Tom? I I, I had like a, a huge predicament. And we weren't on last week to talk about it because I was going to ask you on air. It was like the night before game one. I was like, Tommy, do I just – do I give in here? And and I wouldn't say it was a boycott. It was just something that I never just went back to. So do I give in? Do I watch game one? Because not only is my team growing up and throughout my adulthood and your team, the Celtics are back in the finals – but I've enjoyed watching Golden State play the last 10 years, 7 to 10 years. You know, I, I like Steph Curry a lot. I like Klay Thompson. I, I like watching them. I like that style of basketball. When we're talking about a league that doesn't play defense, I like watching them. And it was literally like a double-edged sword for me. Do I do I stick to my guns because I've gone all season without doing this? Or do I give in in the finals, Tom, and, and watch these two teams play? 
I will tell you this. I still have not watched a minute of NBA basketball. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to. It is kind of funny that, you, you know, you, you do hear from people. I got a, a um, email from a friend of mine that I probably haven't talked to in, in years. And he said, how do you think our Celtics are? Do we have a shot? You know, kind of thing. And I said, yeah, yeah you know, let's let's get into it. And we kind of went back and forth about the Celtics. And um, he had the, the same kind of response. And I had another friend write me the same same thing. Hey, you know, what do you think about the Celtics? I, I, I think I think we have a shot. Yeah, I haven't watched basketball in three years. <laughs> but you're tuning in now? Okay. So I expect the ratings to be pretty good, um, you know, for – the finals because you do have sentimental people. I mean, uh, you know, our old buddy Ron probably doesn't watch a lot of NBA. You know, he's tuning in because the Celtics are there. I think that that draw of the Celtics gets underrated a little bit here, Tim. So I don't think you're the only one that didn't watch the NBA this year that will be tuning into the finals. Our friend of the show, Steve Roy, I occasionally have, well, we do, we try to do it at least once or twice a month. We go out and have wings and catch up. You know, he's in our league, obviously. And I always, he was always texting me throughout the season as it got close to the playoffs and the Celtics would advance. He just texts me Celtics. And I'm like, what team are we talking about? You know, just playing into the whole, I don't understand the NBA, but when you look, you said just the historic sentiment that's involved with Boston. Uh, and now you have, which, I'm not I'm not in the minority when I say that people like to watch Golden State play. So and you're looking at coast to coast, right, Tom? So you got West Coast, East Coast. It's it really this is what I wanted to see. I just didn't think we could get to this point and it happened. And now here we are. And after game one, a Celtics one twenty to one oh eight victory on the road. What were your thoughts coming out of that game that was it that the Celtics just took advantage of a team that had been sitting? Maybe, but I, but I don't think so because let's be honest, the first three quarters was completely owned by the Warriors. So mm-hmm. they weren't really caught off guard. Uh, I'm shocked at the way that the game went down. If the Celtics would have came out in the first quarter and put up 40 or even in the first half and owned them, I, I would say, yeah, sure. It's exactly what happened to, you know, it was, uh, you know, they were just a little, a little lackadaisical. They were sitting back. They uh, had, had rested too long. Okay. No problem. But one of the things that I actually made a point to say on our Sports Garden show uh, last Sunday morning, I said, you know, one of the things for me is that Tatum and Brown were awful in the fourth quarter against the Heat in the game that they lost, a game, you know, a game that they couldn't lose. And I worried, I was wondering, and I was worried about how they would react to the fourth quarter. There are some things that you just can't explain in that game. Steph Curry, of course, is going to be the guy. Um, but for the Warriors, who are a veteran-laden team to make the mistakes they did and to get trounced in the fourth quarter, that's just not like a veteran team. Forget about being the Warriors. It's just not like a veteran team. Al Horford making six three-pointers. I mean, it's, it's just not going to happen again. You know what I mean? That, that Forget about it. It's just not happening again. There are certain things that I don't want to call fluky, Tim, because I don't want to take anything away from what the Celtics did because I do think a lot of – what they did was just use their athleticism, use their explosiveness to put up 40-some-odd points in the fourth quarter. But there was a little bit of, man, that's kind of fluky, right? Al Horford hitting those shots, Tim, that's not going to happen again. It's kind of fluky. The, them going completely just away, they would just disappear, meaning the Warriors, in the fourth quarter, that's a little fluky, right? You look at Jordan Poole 
not playing to anything like he was looking early on. And maybe they even lost a little confidence in him. That's a little fluky to me. So there's opportunities to take in a series. And if it's fluky or not, it doesn't matter. A win is a win for the Celtics. I'm trying not to take anything away from them. But I do hear people saying, that was the statement game. That was it. That's what they needed. Yeah, all of that can be true. And you can also say, eh, we got a little lucky there, right? I mean, uh, things fell our way. I'm looking at game two, Tim, and you've got to be a realist and say, those things are not going to happen again. It doesn't mean the Celtics can't win, but those things that led them to a win, it's not going to happen again. You have to assume that you mentioned Horford and, and what he did. I mean, the guys, uh, he's not 40 yet. He's pushing it really close, and, and he put up 26, and you said it's 6-3 bombs. So most he's had in his career. But the opposite side of it, again, was, was Jason Tatum, right? Tommy, 3 of 17 shooting. So if we figure things come back to, to normalcy, that would switch, and, and Horford would play his role and Tatum would, would adjust his scoring, right? So that puts Boston in that situation. What was it that you saw, other than a, just a, a Celtic blowout in that fourth quarter, was it just, did they, were they able to keep Golden State off off of that their game in that fourth, or was it just, uh, you know, they just missed a lot of shots and Boston took advantage of it? It seemed to me that um, Boston's style just got the best of, of the Warriors, and that style is like I said, ultra-athletic and play insane defense. And they were playing good defense throughout the game. All of a sudden, they ratcheted it up. And basically, look, you, you have a team that coming into the playoffs, coming into the playoffs was the number one defense. But coming into this series was the number one team in the playoffs defending the three ball. So they're going to have their moments, right? Just like the Warriors are going to be able to crack that defense at times, but they're going to have their moments. If those aren't dropping, you start to get frustrated, Tim. And that's always been the thing with the Warriors, as good as they are and as successful as they are. When those numbers don't start, when those threes don't start dropping and the numbers start going down, you start to get frustrated. Most teams are going to go inside. Most teams are going to play big. Most teams are going to drive to the basket. Most teams are going to do that. The Warriors have the ability to do that but not against the number one defense. And that's really where it turns around and you go, yeah, that's that's an interesting scenario, that they got a little tight. They got into their own heads almost, where they knew we got to hit these outside shots. We don't have the ability to drive to the basket. We don't have the ability against this defense to do anything different than hit these outside shots. And if they're not falling, which they weren't in the fourth quarter, what do we do? I mean, what do we do in that spot? And they didn't have any answers. And what about the the social media warriors, the the wannabe members of media that that are trying to to put their names out there and create a moment for themselves? It said Steph Curry in the final. I heard that come up, and again, I didn't watch the game, Tommy. But when I look, and I see twelve of twenty-five, seven of fourteen from three, thirty-four points. Uh, I think he did what he was supposed to do in that game. It just didn't have any help. Yeah, I mean, Steph was fine. That's the thing. We talked about this many times on this show, and I've talked about it for football. I've talked about it for baseball. I've certainly talked about it for basketball. When you have a prolific scorer, you have that big offensive threat. As a defense, you have to decide how do you combat the team, not just him. For example, Bill Belichick in New England, what does he do? He takes away your best option. You will never beat Bill Belichick with your best option. Just not going to happen. He makes sure of that. 
you got to go to option number two. In basketball, we've seen people utilize the, the well, go ahead, LeBron, go score 50 or 60. We watched it with Allen Iverson. Teams used to tell, turn around to Iverson, go ahead, take 50 shots. You're going to score 50 points, but the rest of your team is only going to score 30 points. I mean, that was the philosophy. And I wondered how they were going to attack Steph Curry. Coming into the series, he was leading the team with 26 points per game in the playoffs. No other player had more than tw- more than 19. No player had 20. Um, you know, Poole had 18, Clay had 19. So it has been, uh, I mean, even Wiggins had 15. It has been Steph Curry and then everybody else, and let's see who steps up. Well, I think the Celtics utilized the technique and the mindset of, we're going to let Steph go off. We're going to let him have his game. Go ahead, get your points, and we're going to concentrate on everybody else. Steph had a good game. The reason why people are going, oh, yeah, he didn't have a good game is because he was getting the numbers like the Celtics were allowing him to get, and maybe he didn't facilitate the way that they wanted him to. Steph had a perfectly fine game, though. You, there's a lot of blame to go around here, Tim. Uh, Steph Curry is not the blame to go around. So that'll take us to game two tomorrow night. Also in San Francisco, home of the Warriors. And Tommy, again, a, a line that looks kind of reminiscent of game one, four at home. Yeah, I mean, look, this line is very simple. Do you believe that the Boston Celtics have cracked the code? Uh, or was it a fluke? Do you believe three quarters of what you watched? Or do you believe that the Celtics found something in the fourth quarter? I mean, that's it. If you believe that, look, the Celtics got lucky in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, they had one quarter where they beat them at three quarters. Uh, the Warriors pretty much dominated. I mean, it's what, a oh, 12-point lead going into the fourth? You know, they, they, they were winning that game hands down. If you believe that and you believe home court and you believe that the Warriors are not going to go down 0-2 at home, then minus four. They're the second best against the spread team in the league, Tim. Minus four is a gift. But here's why it's four. Because this wasn't the first quarter coming out there and dominating. This wasn't a random second or a third quarter. This was the fourth quarter. The Celtics got more and more looks at Steph Curry, more and more looks at what the Warriors were trying to do, and they adjusted. And they adjusted throughout the game to a point of, it wasn't we beat you in the fourth quarter. They dominated in the fourth quarter. They dominated offensively against a top-five defense. They dominated defensively against the number-one offense. They absolutely own this team. So... I understand the idea of, of, you know, the four here. I, I get why the number's four. I understand it. I think the lines makers made it pretty appropriate. But I don't think the line is going to have anything to do with this game. I really don't. I don't think that this is going to be close. This is either going to be the Warriors are going to buckle down and they are going to absolutely blow this team out of the water. And you're going to see, you know, 10, 15, 20 point win. I mean, just absolutely just get back on their horse and prove something. Well, they're going to lose outright. Uh, you know, if you like the Celtics, why are you taking four points? If you like the Celtics, don't go anywhere near the four. You, you just just take them to win. You know, take take that money line. It, it, very rarely in the NBA playoffs, um, in the NBA finals, I should say, very meaning never, Tim. Here's a great stat for you. In the NBA finals, if the line is six or less, the winner of the game is 63-0 against the spread. 63-0, Tim, against the spread. So the line should not matter. If you like the Celtics, you take money line. If you like the Warriors, you take the minus four here. Give you another stat, Tom. 
I'm sure you've seen this one. No team has ever lost the first two games of the finals at home and come back to win the finals. So Golden State, uh, we hate using that must-win terminology, but if they lose tomorrow, they, they would have to make history in order to win the NBA finals. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at what the Celtics have done. They've actually played better on the road this year, Tim, than at home. Yeah, they've actually played better uh, on the road than at home, which is an unusual situation when you're talking about a playoff team. I don't know, Tom. I think see this game's at five o'clock. So I, I think I'm gonna. I think I might have to bend and watch this. I, I'm I'm intrigued. It, it, the only reason I didn't watch game one was I actually was watching a baseball game and it completely slipped my mind. And by that point, it was already in the third quarter, and I was like. I'm not going to do it. So The only thing you ever have to watch with the NBA is a fourth quarter anyway, Tim. Yeah, you're right. See, that's exactly what happened, right? So, Okay. What, what's going to happen tomorrow, Tommy? Warriors break even or even this up? You know, I I don't think so. Um, I, I, I mean, I think so. I, I think that when you break down a game like this, there's a lot of, like I mentioned, things that you just can't expect to happen again. I do expect Boston's defense to play well again. I do expect Tatum to play well and Brown to play well and Smart to play well. I expect Hawford to play well. I expect it all, them all to play well. But you're talking about a better team. The Warriors are, over the course of the season, when healthy, a better team. They are at home. They now have their backs against the wall. And they just beat the Celtics team, you know, for, for what, 60 minutes or 45 minutes. You know what I mean? I, I, they, they beat them for three quarters. So... I think that they do even it up here. I think that the Warriors are also in a position where, you know, they they don't often get pushed, Tim. And I've seen them get pushed, and usually they respond really well. The Celtics are in a unique position where they are playing with house money, which makes them dangerous. But it also, with a young team, no matter how much they want to tell you that it's not a real thing, Tim, in the back of their head they're going, all right, we did our job in Golden State. Right? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you can sit back and tell me five million times that's not your mentality. I know that it is. In the back of your head, in the back crevice of Jason Tatum's head uh, and, and Brown and everybody on that team, they're sitting there going, all right, it's not the worst thing if we lose. And that's a bad mentality to have. So I, I thought that they could take one of two. I never imagined they could take both. I think the Warriors win by probably 10 points or more tomorrow in a nice, comfortable win. Yeah, I, I would say just looking at it from a betting side, and I, I brought this up to you uh, via the text. I said, man, you know, the line is where it's at, and everybody's just loading on, on Golden State. I'm talking about game one. They're loading up on Golden State, and look what happens. But I see the same scenario happening in game two, right? Everybody's loading up on Golden State, Tom. They are, but remember, a lot of late money came in on the Celtics last week. So – Maybe those those Celtics betters, what they're going to do, try to make a little money on the hockey, try to make a little money on that Ranger game, right? Uh, go out there, make make a couple of bucks on the early 11.30 a.m. Eastern Yankee game, make a, a little buck on that, and, you know, and then all of a sudden late at night kind of load up. I wouldn't be surprised if there's late Celtics money again. Tim Unglesby, Tom Barton, Heat Wave Sports. Time for our first break here on a Saturday night. We come back, we'll go from the basketball court over to the ice, NHL, Stanley Cup playoffs in the semifinal round. Big game tonight. We'll break that down for you on the other side of 
the sponsor break. It's Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio. Heat Wave Sports, Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. You can listen to us each and every weekend, including, of course, tomorrow night at 10 o'clock for the Super Sunday Night Edition. Tim Mugglesby, Tom Barton just broke down the NBA Finals. <clears throat> Going to move our way over to the pond, the ice, talk NHL playoffs. And, Tom, you said something in the first segment when you were talking about the Warriors, and just being the better team. And I think we've kind of stated that well, in the NBA playoffs as much as in the NHL playoffs. And, and tonight, uh, it, just, it was a good hockey game, game three in Edmonton between the Oilers and the Avalanche. But, but the Avalanche are just proving to be the better team right now, Tommy. They get a 4-2 win on the road and take a pretty commanding 3 nothing lead in this series with the winner, of course, moving on to the finals. Well, we just talked about defense, Tim. We talked about how do you combat against just a prolific scorer in any single sport. Well, the Avalanche have said, we're not going to let Connor McDavid take a shot. I mean, that's really what they've done. I've commented two games in a row now how extraordinary little shots on goal Connor McDavid is getting. Tonight, he scored in the first, okay? Um, he scored rather quickly early on in the first. Had a shot on goal minutes after that. Then went the rest of the first period, Tim, with nothing. Not a shot on goal. He went the entire second period. Not a shot on goal. He went 12 minutes into the third period. Not another shot on goal. He sat, Tim, at, with two shots on goal with about eight minutes to go in the game. Now, he wound up finishing up with four um, which with that late flurry. But, Tim, that's not going to get it done. In game one, or I'm sorry, in game two, um, he had two shots on goal the entire game. So, outside of about a six-minute span in game three, okay, uh, a six-minute span in the first period, he's been just not able to get a shot on goal. And I'm not blaming McDavid. Who was making real nice moves? He got had a goal tonight, right? I mean, you can't blame the guy. Oh, but it's a just a dynamic defensive effort. Not only to forget about letting him score. Not only don't let him score, Tim. They're not letting him get close to the net. They're not letting him get a shot on goal. What they're doing is they are daring him to pass it to one of the teammates, daring him to make one of the other guys be the hero. And look, what what's happening? When he is being dared to do it, he's putting he's putting the puck right on their stick, and they're just whiffing or not getting the puck in the net. And that that's the story of the series. We're gonna sit back and just drool over what Connor McDavid has been this entire postseason, and he has been phenomenal, and he still is really really good. He still is the best that I can remember seeing since Wayne Gretzky. He still is all of those things, Tim. But this defensive mindset of the Avalanche, don't even let him take a shot, is really, really putting a problem up for the Oilers here, even late in the game. When you go back and look at the series itself, which started on Tuesday, <clears throat> and we had that wild 8-6 to six game, Tommy, that Colorado won on their home ice, and we're thinking to ourselves, man, 
this is just going to be an all-out explosion back and forth. And really, in just one game's time, right, when you think about it, they came back on Thursday night in game two, and like you said, they, they figured it out, or at least at that point they figured it out, in a 4 nothing shutout win over Edmonton, is that we're just not going to let him do anything. We're going to smother him, and if the rest of the Oilers beat us, which I think you said going into the preview, when we previewed the Stanley Cup playoffs, you're like, as much as McDavid can do, he will have to have help at some point. Well, we're at that point now, Tom, and I think it's too late. Yeah, it's hard to point to a single person here, Tim, and say, you know, that they're the problem. It's hard to point to anybody and say, that's the issue. That's the, you know, Leon has not had a good series, but he hasn't had a terrible series. Um, Nick Nurse has had, had a terrible game today. Absolutely terrible game. Uh, he was kind of the reason why the Avalanche scored a goal. Uh, he also had a, a, a pretty nasty penalty. I, look, there, there's nobody to pinpoint this on, and everyone's going to point to Smith. Everybody's going to point to Smith. But if you're an offensive team, you can't get shut out. That happened in game two. You, you can't do that. If you're an offensive team and you have a one nothing advantage, you know you can't go out there and score two goals tonight. You can't score two goals between, I don't care what Smith done. Okay, and he doesn't look good. I get it. But, Tim, if you're an offensive-minded team, and make no mistake, that's what the Oilers are. I have raved about their defense, and they've gotten better, but they're an offensive-minded team. They are an offensive-minded team that scored two goals in two games. I, what, what can Smith do that would hurt that? I mean, does it matter? Does it really matter, Tim? I, I, I'm not telling you at all that Smith is having a good series, but everyone's pointing to him. I think we need to point to the secondary guys, point to the nurse, point to Leon, point to these guys because they're just not getting it done. You cannot score two goals in two games and be taken serious as, as a Stanley Cup contender here. No, I agree. I, I don't blame Smith for anything because I don't think, uh, you know, look, this is a this is a Colorado team that averages five goals a game on the road. This is a Colorado team that, Tom, they're undefeated on the road right now in the playoffs. They're only, only one. 6-0 and on the road. And this is a Colorado team that's, that's just systematically steamrolled themselves through this playoffs. I don't blame Smith for anything. I think Smith is a good medium, uh, medium-tiered goalie. I don't think he's a top-tier guy. And he, he, he's kind of very streaky if you look at it. If you, you even want to go back to the first round against the Kings and, and look at the, how wishy-washy he was, but he settled down when it counted in game six and seven, right? Calgary, coming off huge game seven shutout, he got lit up in game one, but settled down. And even though he was a little tight in games four and five, he got the win. Again, in this series, lit up in game one. I don't think he's played that bad in games two and three. So I, I don't blame Mike Smith for anything. And you're right, the, the role players that found their way this season for a 49-win team just haven't found their way in this series. And like I said, they their backs are – the proverbial back against the wall, it's worse than that. I just don't see – as much as they have that scoring prowess, Tom, I just can't see them beating the better team, as we said, four straight games. I mean, and that's what it is. Look, the Oilers had a good run. They were not expected to be here. They have some deficiencies that are being shown, but they ran into a buzzsaw. I mean, the Avalanche are the best team in the league. They ran yeah. into a buzzsaw. What I, people are just 
bashing on this Edmonton team. And I'm going, what did you expect, sort of? Right? I mean, sort of what did you expect? I thought Edmonton had a shot. I thought uh, all of that. But they were a Cinderella team. Tim, they were, you know, plus three, 400 on the money line before game one. I, it, it, it wasn't going to be this year for Edmonton. It just wasn't going to be this year for Edmonton. So, you know, what, what are we, what are we going to do? Are we going to pinpoint who's the problem? How about this? How about the Avalanche are just the better team? Sometimes that happens in sports, guys. Sometimes in sports, the better team is just better. You know, McDavid is fantastic. Leon is really good. Like you said, Smith isn't terrible, but he's not going to go out there and beat a team like the Avalanche. He's just not that good. He's not. A, look, he's not a top ten goalie, and I think that no. you have to be a top ten goalie to have any. You probably have to be a top five goalie to beat this team. And I'm talking to Vasilevsky, and I'm talking to Igor. And guess what? Next round, they'll both be underdogs. So it doesn't matter, right? Hey, what kind of goalie you have? I'm not letting Smith off the hook. I don't think the Oilers can win a championship with Smith. I said that before the series. I said that before the season. I said that uh, you know two years ago. I don't think they can win a championship with Smith. But to put this all on him, guys, the Avalanche are just a better team. This is over. And that, and I mean, there's nothing else that we really need to go out and say about that. No, 100% agree. This is a team that put up 312 goals in a regular season. Their goals against 234, one of the one of the top teams in the Nets. And that's with Darcy Kemper going most of the way, which I thought, it, it's interesting. We, we talk about in the playoffs, the goaltending and how it can be so sensitive, Tom. You know, game one, Kemper just lit up by the Oilers. Guy won 30 games this year in the pipes for the Navs, but he got hurt. He, he's injured. They go to they go to the backup in uh, Francouz, and look what he's done the last two games, right? So are we creating our – I don't know the, the day-to-day status of Darcy Kemper right now, but are we creating our own uh, uh, goaltending situation here? I don't think you can go away from Fran Kuz right now. He is hot. No, he's right. You're right. He's red hot against a team that is getting decent looks. I mean, that the entire complexion of tonight's game changed where <laughs> – I mean, we talked about fluky. The puck was literally just sitting – in in the net, it just it, it felt like I don't know ten minutes, Tim. Right? I mean, didn't it feel like forever? The puck is behind him, and, and that would have tied the game. That would have been all of a sudden, you know, Edmonton getting that second goal. Here we go. Now it's a different game. Uh, but he that that doesn't go in. And now, like you said, he looks like he's on fire. He's whole, held Connor McDavid in the playoffs with Leon and Nurse and everybody on that team. He's held them to two goals in two games. A lot of that's the defense, sure. A lot of that is their second uh, problems and, and their shortcomings, sure. But I don't make a change. No way. Game four will be in Edmonton on Monday night over on TNT, 5 o'clock face-off. All right, Tom, first question would be McDavid, 123 points. We saw him in elimination-type match or style of games this year, especially in round one with the LA Kings where he completely took – over the series, yes, we know Colorado is a definite three steps up over the Kings, but give us your game four synopsis. Edmonton doesn't go out there like this on their home ice, right? Right, Tommy? They extended one more game, at least. Yeah, look, the last time that they had a go-home kind of game, um, you know, they sat down and basically said, okay, we're going to play pond hockey here. Let McDavid go absolutely nuts. 
let Leon just go nuts, put them on the same line together the entire night, and let them just uh, kind of freestyle and, and, and figure it out. Uh, same thing's going to happen. I think that they steal one. Um, McDavid is just going to kind of say, okay, I'm going to take over here, and let's see what we can do. Let's just take over, spin it around, go crazy, put it behind my head, and we're going to get a couple of goals here. Now, they may lose, Tim, 7-6. I mean, you know, they might. But I expect them to grab the last the last game. If anything, you're going to watch a really good McDavid game. He's not going to go away with two shots on goal going into the last eight minutes of the game. Tell me then if they win game four, it goes three to one. You have to go back to Colorado for game five. Tell me how they can win this series, though, Tom. Uh, you, you know, obviously, score. We know that. They've only got two goals in the last two games. But you're talking about yeah. a team that they can go goal for goal with you. Tim, the only way they can win this series is if this becomes like game one and every game they're going, all right, look, we're not even trying to play defense. We're going to try to score six or seven. We'll see if you guys can score six or seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we might put up eight. You're going to have to be, put up nine to beat us. I mean, it might just be one of those go crazy, here we go, uh, to compare it back to the NFL. Um it may be one of those kind of situations where you just say, look, <laughs> we're, we're going to launch it up. We're going to throw 80-yard bombs and just see if you can keep up with us. That's the only way. I, I just – look, I think the ship has sailed for them to win. Again, they're just – look, the Avalanche is just a better team. Uh, uh, there's nothing to be said about uh, – there's no in-depth analysis here other than I think the ship has sailed, Tim. I think it's over. The only chance they have – is to make this an insane offensive scoring, do not care, go 100%, don't even try to play defense, attack, 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 and take risks. And if you take risks, you might be on the wrong end of a 9-2 final. I mean, you really might. Uh, But just go out there and take those ridiculous risks. You said it, a game at a time. You got got to win. Number one, you're going to have, we've seen the fan support for the Oilers, especially in the playoffs. That's going to be there. That place is going to be nuts. And I think what we've seen is even if they score the first goal, they have to maintain that and somehow crack the code of Francouz. And once you do that, Tom, we all know how mental sometimes goaltenders can be. If they can crack the code and get in his head, it opens up a new series because Kemper is hurt, whether he's 100% or not. And now you're going to create your own goaltending controversy if it goes maybe 3-2 Heck, 3-3, three, three. what do you do at this point? Now you have Colorado scrambling, and that plays right into to, uh, Edmonton's style, Tom. And I think that there there has to be the fear of uh, McDavid, doesn't there? I thought that was what we were going to get today. Uh, you have to get the, oh, no, here he <laughs> is. You know, here's the best player on the planet, and there's nothing I could do to stop him. You, you have to get into that McDavid mode. You're not getting it with two shots on goal, Tim. Two shots on goal until eight minutes in the game. Two shots on goal in, in game two. Well, I don't care what you have to do. I, 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 I don't care if you have to deck people with the back of your hockey tie. Who cares? Get him open looks. You know, this, this is the best player in the sport. Get him open looks no matter what you have to do. Play pond hockey. You want to call it pond hockey? Go ahead. Play nuts. Play close. Play two-on-one for it. I don't care. You've got to give McDavid some open looks here. And let him just fire away. 
We talked about Allen Iverson and how Allen Iverson would go out there and, and launch 40, you know, 40 shots in the night. Let McDavid do it. Just and listen, if you can see the net and the puck is on your stick, just take the shot, McDavid. Don't worry about passing. Just take every shot you see. Let's let's go back to scaring the team with McDavid. It's gonna be tight. Game game four. That's that's the that's the other side of the coin as we, as much as we can build up what we think Edmonton can can do to extend this series. That pressure is solely on Edmonton now, right? I don't think Colorado feels any pressure whatsoever at this point, and that's that's a huge huge negative as well that, that Edmonton's gonna have to deal with. They they have to get that first goal, and even even still, Tim, they did that tonight, and it didn't matter. Let's look at the East now, Tom, with a huge game tomorrow. So, you know, these playoffs have just been absolutely unreal. And for as much as the story of, of Connor McDavid is in the playoffs against the boring avalanche, that's what I've I see, seen it uh, posted as, as great as that story is, how, how big is this story? Before we even look at the X's and O's on the ice, Tom, how big is this story in New York with the New York Rangers right now? Oh, it's absolutely huge. It's absolutely huge. It, it's huge because New York has lacked a champion for quite some time. There is no football here in, <laughs> in New York. You know, the Jets and the Giants have been atrocious for quite some time here. Um, so you have that. The Yankees have been a disappointment for a couple of years. The Mets are a perennial disappointment. The Knicks, ah, do I have to go there, right? And now the Nets disappointed. And the Rangers are giving the fans something that, we knew that they were building for the future. And that's what's scary about the Rangers. We knew they were building for the future. We knew this was going to be a, okay, hey, look, we're going to be good for the next four or five years. Before the playoffs started, if you remember, we could play the tape back where I said, Tim, doesn't really matter what the Rangers do this year because they are set up. They're going to win a championship in the next four or five years. They win, might win multiple. That's the, how they are. If you listen to the telecast, when the announcer for the Rangers is announcing, he calls them kids all the time. Oh, the kids are playing, the kids. That's their moniker, the kids, the kids, because they're all young. They're all new. They're all kind of making this thing work. So there's a, a weird difference when you're talking about sports teams uh, around the country, if you have a young team or if you have an older team. An older team, you, you like in a different way than the young team. Because you're playing with house money. You're, with, with the Rangers, they're playing with house money, but they are a fun, exciting, really, really likable team. And that is something that New York hasn't had in a while. Even with some of the Yankee teams, uh, and I mean, after the Jeter years, some of the Yankee teams, you didn't like A-Rod on that team. You know, I don't like this guy. Well, that guy's unlikable. The Mets always have unlikable players. Nobody likes Durant. Nobody seems to like Kyrie Irving. I mean, let's get real. There's not a a New York Nick that you could even really root for. In New York, there's a lot of unlikable guys. There's not an unlikable guy really out there on the on the Rangers. I mean, you know, Reeves would be one, but that Adam Fox is actually from Long Island. You know, Igor's fantastic. He's the next step up. Everybody loves Panarin. These guys, when they come to the microphone, they've done it all year long. They're fun. They're laughing. They're smiling because they are kids. This is just taking control of New York. It is the number one story. I told you, I write an article for a New York paper here once a week, and I have a hard time not writing an article every single week about the Rangers. And when I don't, when I go off script and I kind of write about something else, I'll get emails and say, 
why didn't you write around the Rangers again? You know, everybody wants to talk about the Rangers. Now, the Yankees take a, a, a little bit away from them, obviously, and the Mets as well, uh, because it is a baseball town. But, man, everybody is just fully buying into this team. They're young. They're exciting. They're fun. And, Tim, they are really, really good. And do you see that, you 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 know, you we were texting. You were sitting in the airport waiting to get on your flight. They literally announced the score to everybody sitting around, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, it was funny because we landed, um, and before I could even turn my phone on, I usually have my phone on right away. Before I could turn my phone on, my niece who was sitting um, a little bit in front of the, the plane, my niece who didn't like hockey until uh, about two months ago, texted me, oh, the Rangers won. You know, they wound up tacking more on it. They were announcing it. People were cheering. I, I told everybody around us, oh, Rangers just won. All right, we're high-fiving. We're cheering. Um, yeah, it, it is a citywide thing. It's funny because you do have Islander fans, obviously, and I land, I live on Long Island, and I land at Long Island Airport when I landed there. Um, but there's not an animosity this year between the Islanders. At least I don't see it. You don't see that wa- wanting that team to fail. So I, I'm not going to tell you that Islander fans are rooting for the Rangers. Okay, that's not happening. But there's not that animosity. It's a hard team to dislike, Tim. And the way they go about their business. They're a defensive team. That always enamors you to the fans. They do have some stars, but their stars are fun stars. That enamors you to the fans. The fact that they are young, the fact that they're underdogs, the fact that they're beating up on the lightning of all teams, that these are things that kind of enamor fans and make you want to cheer for them. Let's put a pause on it right here, Tom. Let's talk about the series, the big game tomorrow. On the other side of the timeout as we take our top of the hour break in hour two. Not only Rangers lightning talk, Major League Baseball, plenty, plenty of time to go through our favorite sport, Tommy. Baseball will we'll do all that in hour two. It's Heat Wave Sports. It's Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Are you ready? Now back to Heatway Sports. Big hour two here on Heatway Sports. Make sure you tune in tomorrow night for the Super Sunday Night Edition at 10 o'clock. As not only are we going to talk NBA Finals Game 2, talk NHL playoffs as the Rangers and the Lightning battle in Game 3, Tom. This time emanating from Tampa. And the Lightning find themselves in a hole down 2 nothing. Yeah, look, I, I mean, conventional wisdom was for Game 2. They had won 18 games after a loss in the playoffs. I love the Rangers' response. And, uh, you know, the, the gallant response was fantastically received in New York. Well, they haven't played us. They're like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but it is kind of that situation where... I think the immediate response here is, oh, well, sure, the, lane, the Lightning are going to bounce back, right? I, I mean, the light, how can the Lightning lose again? How can they lose again? Well, there's one man on the ice that is getting MVP consideration. He is uh, among the three finalists, and that is the goalie, the most important position in hockey, the most important position in hockey playoffs by far. I think that Tampa Bay should be favored here. I think Tampa Bay probably responds well. I think Tampa Bay probably wins the game, Tim. 
but are you betting against the number two defense in the NHL? Are you betting against Igor and the way that he's been standing on his head? I know Vasilevsky's fantastic. Um, he's looked vulnerable the last two. And Igor has not. Igor looks back again like he's back to that MVP form. The Rangers are playing with confidence. The Rangers are playing loose. I'm not making a bet on this game. Um, I think the smart bet is probably Tampa. But, man, <laughs> betting against the Rangers has been hazardous to a lot of people's health right now. What's funny about this series, Tommy, in that all year long, all we heard about was how Tampa was done, right? Well, they won two. They had a nice run, but they're done. They put up 110 points this year. So did the Rangers. That's the other side of the coin was once this matchup was made, because of the way Tampa had run through the playoffs and the Rangers basically had fight tooth and nail to get through two series was that Tampa was the, was the odds on favor, but the Rangers also put up 110 points this year. Both teams play well on their home ice, right? So all the Rangers did was keep their home ice 27 and 10 this year, Tampa at home 27 and eight. So really what, you know, I, I love just the ebbs and flows of, of how the public in this case perceives a series and that, People act like the Rangers shouldn't be here. I understand the sentiment. I understand that this team wasn't built for a run necessarily at the beginning of the year. They, we weren't looking at, oh, the Rangers are odds-on favorites to win the Stanley Cup. Well, guess what? They're good, right? They were one of the six of eight teams you said could win the Cup coming out of the East, along with Tampa. So it wasn't like they're playing a bunch of bums. So here we go. This is a, this is a pivotal game because Tampa wants to keep their home ice, they have a goaltender that they know who has been there and done that. And as much as he was rattled in game one, I think in game two, Tommy, after the first period, he kind of just – he looked better to me. Even though he gave up the third goal, he looked better to me. And that's what's going to be a key tomorrow in this game. We know Igor. You and I both talked about this at, at nauseum that if Igor has to refer, has to find his way and return back to hit that form or the Rangers are done. Well, he did it. He's, he's back. And game seven of the last series is when we really saw – I think that spark ignite again for Igor. So what do you look at for tomorrow? You got to think that this is going to be a low-scoring game again, right, Tom? Yeah, look, the line is five and a half. Um, I didn't take the line in game one. I took it in game two. I, I, you have to like you have to like the under here. I'm not telling you that you have to take it, right? But you can't go over. I mean, who's taking the over here? You got to be nuts. That doesn't mean it's going to certainly happen, but you can't take it. You have to expect the game to be kind of what we're expecting going in. Um, it's a tight game. If Tampa Bay wins, and we expect them to win, I don't think it's going to be an offensive explosion, right? I mean, it's going to be more Vasilevsky leaning on Vasilevsky, and that's what both of these teams do. Once they get a nice little lead, then they lean on the other team, and they just kind of lean on them and, and sit back and kind of just – drain the clock. I, I don't want to say they kill the clock. I don't want to say they waste time, but they kind of do. You know, that's just the way that their style of defense is where you just watch that clock ticking away, clock going away, no shots on goal. And, oh, another two minutes went by. I don't think that anybody can expect, you know, a five or six goal performance coming out, not against Igor, not the way that he is right now. Game one, Rangers put a six spot up. Game two, a three spot, but that was a 
that was a 2-1 battle. It looked like in, in game two, we'll start with game two, because I think game one was just what it was. It got away in the third period from Tampa, but the the Rangers had, had come out and put up one early and really dictated the style, I thought, in that game on their home ice and wrote it out. In game two, again, so the Lightning put up one early, but the Rangers just kept kept attacking, kept kept hitting at him, and they got that goal late at the first to put him up 2-1. And we really thought, like, look, Vasilevsky's on, on uh, wobbly legs right now. They, they played him. They played the, so I, I, what I saw was that they really shortened the ice, and I don't think that benefits Tampa, but they had to do it because the momentum was all and not going the right way. And we saw a scoreless second period. But in that third, you saw the Rangers continue to just chip away and chip away, and they got the third goal to take a 3-1 lead. That's that's what we're gonna have to look here. And I think you said it. You're not looking for a five-six spot against Igor, but Tampa needs to break out of this. They need to have a, a nice offensive game some way. Maybe maybe not five, but if they can get four. I think it gives them much more confidence moving throughout the rest of the series. Yeah, I I think that um, this is a spot where. I have nothing, nothing going into, you know, the third, right? I mean, I just can't look at both of these goalies and find a situation where they're giving up four or five goals. I know it's happened to Vasilevsky, but you got to think coming back home, he's going to be solid. Tim, you know, you break down a game and you start to find angles. and In your head, you picture the game and then you picture what will go bad for you. You know, if you like the under, you start to picture, okay, what will go bad? How can this go wrong? How can this go sideways for me or my bet or my team or my game or whatever? I can't imagine these two goalies kind of crumbling here. I can't. You know, this is not going to be one of those games. You know, fluke goals here or there, things bouncing pucks. Oh, sure. You know, we could get a 4-2 game and that goes over the six. I just, I don't know if I can expect that early on, especially in a game that now it becomes kind of that crucial three. I think that both teams are going to play a little tight here. As the Rangers are young. They know that they can't allow Tampa Bay to get up and breathe, and Tampa is experienced. They know, look, we got to get on the board nice and early here. I, 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 don't, I just can't f- figure out a way where this is a scoring spree for Tampa, Tim. Books like Tampa at home, Tommy, dollar sixty, dollar sixty-five in a lot of places. That's a massive number. It really is. And I took them in, you know, game two. I have the Rangers in game one. I have the Rangers for the series. I I, I can't lay one sixty. It's probably the right side, but I can't lay one sixty here. I like Tampa tomorrow. I've been really good at kind of piecing them together throughout these playoffs after a loss and. I was wrong in game two, just like everybody who wanted to ride that trend was wrong. I don't think they looked bad in that loss. They just weren't the better team like we've been talking about. So now they're back at home knowing, and you said it, you just said it, a veteran team that's lived through this. There's a lot of guys on this team, Tommy. We're talking about, you know, in, in the dog days of these playoffs the last two years. It's not like they steamrolled their way to the cup the last two seasons. They've been in these situations, so this is a huge game. And I think, in my mind, like I know there's pressure on Vasilevsky, but something tells me the guy like just performs well under it. Yeah, he does. Um, but again, how much confidence does he have? You know, you we always talk about a pitcher against a pitcher or, or quarterback against a quarterback, and the reality is pitcher against a pitcher never on the field at the same time. 
quarterback, quarterback, never on the field at the same time, right? Goalie, goalie. Uh, look, they're not shooting against each other, but doesn't he have to feel that pressure? I mean, does it? Uh, you could say Vasilevsky is going to step up, but doesn't he have to feel a little bit of the pressure of saying, "Man, I got to go out here and pitch a shutout." I, I mean, I can't allow anything with the way that Igor's playing. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Vice versa, though, the way Igor is playing is is MVP form. What happens if he gets hit for three tomorrow early? It's, he's a, he's a snap of a fingers away from being that guy we saw in the middle of the playoffs against Pittsburgh. Yeah, he is. Uh, I think we we just have to go on what we've witnessed recently, and kind of just consider those uh, fluky plays. I mean, look, those are few fluky games. You got to look at what he's done. You know, since game what four in Pittsburgh, and it's back to being the ego that we all know. Well, we'll break it down tomorrow night. Either the Rangers will be in a Colorado-like vice grip on Tampa and be up 3 nothing, or Tampa will hold home ice and take a uh, 2-1 deficit into game four. We play Tuesday night. We'll see, and we'll break it down for you tomorrow night, which leaves us plenty of time, Tom. Plenty of time the rest of the show to talk about some Major League Baseball. And you said in the first hour about the possible trades that could be coming down the line here in just a month's time with the deadline shooting. Well, well, you have your all-star game, your draft, and then the trade deadline. But a lot of teams looking at already positioning themselves better for a long summer run. Yeah, look, I think that there are some big-time names out there. Uh, And you're starting to see this year, which we haven't had recently, but we're starting to see this year, Teams are just basically eliminated by June 1st. I I mean, look, the Orioles know they're basically out of this thing. Okay? The Kansas City Royals have 17 wins. They're out of this thing. Detroit has 11 games under 500. I know everybody's going to flip out and tell me about Detroit, but Detroit's in a position. They have some tradable. They're 6-17 and away. Okay? They have some tradable commodities on that team uh, that is building for the future. The Oakland A's are ready to unload everyone. The Washington Nationals, there's been a lot of Soto talk already. They're willing to deal. The Reds are willing to deal and wanting to deal. The Cubs want to release contracts. The Pirates have big-time names that they could get rid of. The Rockies could get rid of teams. There are a lot of teams with big assets out there. Now, I don't think a Soto goes, even though that's the big rumor. Uh, but I do think a Luis Castillo can be had. I do think a Kyle Hendricks can be had. Um you know, you look around and you go uh, from Oakland. I think um, Oakland as Montas, he's got to probably had. Uh, I, I know he hasn't had a, a really great run here, but Lou Trevino is going to be on the trading block. In Kansas City, they got to do something because the Kansas City Royals are built for the future. I know that they don't have a lot of tradable commodities, but man, Salvador Perez is limping around out there. Carlos Santana is completely useless. The Royals have to make a move. Your Baltimore Orioles, Tim, you got to do something. And then you have a lot of buyers. Now, while I don't think that the Yankees are buyers, well, Toronto just lost uh, Ryu for uh, the better part of a month or so. He wasn't pitching that well anyway. I think Toronto's in the market to make some moves. You got to think that the Boston Red Sox have to be in the market to make a move. Minnesota, Cleveland, they find themselves all of a sudden, hey, wait a minute, we're but we're in this thing. Can we make a move to, to bring us back? The Angels are reeling the other way. Maybe the Angels feel they can make a move. The Rangers had no problem spending in the offseason, spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
they're two games under 500. You don't think that they're going to try to do something? You know, so there's a lot of teams out there that I think are also buying. That's why I think we're going to have a trading spree. Got a lot of sellers, but we finally have a lot of buyers. This is the first time that we've seen this in a couple of years. Let's kind of poke around Major League Baseball, get Tommy's thoughts on these division well, Tim, Tim, before we, before we do that, can, can I just ask you about Juan Soto? Because the yeah. big rumor here is that has been for the last couple of weeks that Juan Soto is going to be dealt. And it makes sense. Look, the Washington Nationals are a terrible team. He's not going to resign with them. He's probably going to ask for about $500 million, and, and rightfully so in a lot of ways. He's got a huge, huge price tag right now. There are some teams that have been thought, hey, look, they can put together a nice package. The big-time teams can really blow Washington away with a package because he'd be still under two-year control, although the arbitration records are going to be blown out of the water. And then you see Washington kind of come out and say, yeah, we're not trading him. There's no way we're trading him. Let me explain to, to the listeners a little bit about Juan Soto here and the situation. The Washington Nationals are in the process of being sold. So you have two trains of thought. Train of thought number one is, if you're in the process of being sold, does the new owner want Juan Soto on the team to kind of build around, put butts in the seats, and be that guy? Or is it, wait, wait a minute, I'm going to take over a team and I'm going to be the new owner that then has to go out there and get rid of the franchise player? I have to be the new owner that won't pay the guy $500 million? So I think there's two trains of thought here, Tim, where Juan Soto, you know, the impending sale of the Nationals is really impacting Juan Soto. I think he's gone. I don't think that it happens this year, though. I, I think it happens maybe in the offseason, perhaps, but I don't think it happens at the trade deadline. But I'm hearing a lot of rumblings from a lot of people that I trust that that could be very wrong and he could be going here in the next few weeks. It's a, it's a very, very... It's a very, very touchy subject because... Yes, the business side of it comes into play. And you were right. Look, Washington won, what, 90-plus games for, for damn near a decade, right? They were they were, they were were there. They got a World Series out of it, right, Tommy? In fact, Soto was just a young pup when, when he got that ring. He's still a young guy. But here's what we always talk about. When we like to play fantasy uh, GM, we talk about, well, what if we – offered this. I think the last one we did was Joe Adele. We, we played Fantasy GM on the show. Fantasy GM, Tom Barton, you have Juan Soto. What are you asking for here? Because there's a, a huge, huge uh, market value for Juan Soto over a Joe Adele. And I kind of like in my mind, brings me back to when Manny Machado was going to leave Baltimore. And um, I was not what the Dodgers gave the Orioles for that trade because at some point you become desperate, right? We're not at that point necessarily with Soto, but like you said, the business side of it comes into effect and the longer it lingers on, if it gets into that year where he's about to go, what are you going to get at that point? So it's I think it's too early, like you said, to tell, but is his value more than worth, it's worth more now than it would be in a year? Yeah, I think so because you get two years of arbitration, Tim. So for a team like the Dodgers, a team like the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, they don't care about arbitration, but a team like the Nationals do. So 
you know, the more that he plays, the more his value goes down because the more they can say, oh, we'll just let him go to free agents and we're going to just buy him when he goes to on the open market. You know, that's the thing. If he goes to one of these teams, it's going to be a win-now team. He's not – I know a lot of people talking about San Francisco. I don't think San Francisco's got the package to do. Now, they have Matos. They have uh, Luciano down there. I don't know if they have the package to put together – to go get him. And then also knowing once he's on your team, you can't let him walk. You're going to sign him to a, what, 14 year, 13 year, 14 year, $500 million deal. I mean, that's just reality. So to me, that leaves the Dodgers, the Mets, maybe Philly, but probably Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Boston. To me, there's four teams um, that could put together a package and to pay him now the Yankees have the prospects they could offer Dominguez Volpe you know um they have they have top 10 prospects all over the place Peraza's out there Sweeney's out there I mean they have prospects the Yankees can can get this done but guys they're gonna have to pay Aaron Judge right or are they if the Yankees go out there and they had they have already put in their mind that we're going to lose Aaron Judge, we're not going to pay him three four hundred million dollars, whatever he's going to ask for. It will ease Yankee fans if you go out there and you pay Juan Soto the five hundred and kind of let Aaron Judge walk. But why wouldn't you just keep Aaron Judge at a discounted price? I don't think the Yankees are real players in Juan Soto. The Boston Red Sox they're having a debate: should they even trade? Oh, should they even re-sign Xander Bogarts right now? I don't want to say that they're tight on their purse strings, but I don't think that they're they're thinking that they are a hitter away. I think they're concentrating on pitching. Um, they you can't count them out. Their minor league system is solid. York is pretty decent. Duran is okay, uh, but it's not fantastically or just stumble all over yourself at all. The um, Los Angeles Dodgers certainly have the prospects. They have prospects. The but do they want to go commit another, I mean, ridiculous four or $500 million? I, I, there was a reason why they weren't serious contenders in the Bryce Harper move. There's a reason why they weren't serious contenders in Manny Machado. Uh, they go out there and they get guys, but I don't know if they're the team. Tim, to me, it's the New York Mets. They have a brand new owner wants to make a splash. He wants to own the back pages. He wants to go out there, and and he promised everybody when he took over, I'm going to make a huge splash. They got Lindor, and then they got a couple other guys. Oh, they, they wound up signing Scherzer the year later. Okay, that's nice. But he's got to look at his New York Mets team and say, uh, my team right now is built for the next two years. Scherzer is older. DeGrom is already on the DL. Lindor is not a franchise player, right? Nimmo is a power hitter. Who's going to be the face of my franchise for the next 10, 12 years? And you think of this like in a business term, Tim, I think the Mets make sense. Here's the problem. I don't know if the Mets have the guns to go get him. You look at guys like Alvarez, the catcher. Okay, he's young and up and coming, and they got, uh, you know, they have a shortstop that they could certainly throw. But I don't know if they have the package of the deal. And here's the other thing. That's in the division, Tim. So I think the Mets financially make the most sense. The Dodgers and the Yankees have the minor leaguers. But to me, it's between four teams. I don't see him going to the Mets, even though that makes the most sense because it's in division. 
if the trade offer was Dominguez Volpe for Soto, you do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm huge on Volpe, um, but I do it immediately. You're taking what you're doing is you're taking what you hope Jason Dominguez is half of, right? You're, you're hoping Volpe and Dominguez together eventually become what Juan Soto does. And we have about what a 60 or 70% bust rate for, you know, high prospects, especially in the Yankees organization. And I think you got to do more than that. If I'm the Yankees, I'm offering Volpe, Dominguez, maybe Wazinski, you know, and, and like a reliever. I, I'm, I'm, you're going to have to pay a crazy amount. But that the, the big thing with the Yankees is Aaron Judge. Do you want to have a billion dollars, a billion dollars tied up in Soto, Judge, and Cole? And that's what you're going to have. You have a billion dollars with Soto, Judge, and Cole tied up. I don't think New York is going to do that. And we've watched Cashman. We watched this new Steinbrenner. He's not his father, and he's not there. I got a question for you, Tim. I left, specifically left two teams out. Your two teams, the Orioles and the Angels. Both of them have money, Tim. Both of them have histories of spending. Both of them uh, would, would just dynamically improve their chances for playoffs, which they haven't sniffed in a while, in both situations. Did I, I left them off on purpose, but do you think either one of them have a dark horse chance? Maybe the Angels. Um, <clears throat> obviously, this would be... You're talking about Soto or Judge? I'm sorry. Soto. No, no chance for either one. Judge is a Yankee or a Dodger. There's no in-between in there. I, I thought you were talking about Judge. I, I think possibly the Angels could find a way to sneak in there, but on Soto, I, I just... The, the Oriole Farm, which is it's greatly improved, it's just not there to offer what other teams can offer. And the Angels... We, well, we know how that farm system. Yeah, it's all pitching now, but it's just not at that level yet. So, and they um, got to go pay Otani. What is Otani going to ask for next year? Right. He, it, that's not even going to be a thought, though. He's going to just Artie Moreno's going to just sign the checkbook over, just write in the number, right? Right. But this is what I'm saying is that again, do you want to have more than a billion dollars on Soto, Otani, and Trout to a team that doesn't make the playoffs? No. You know that's that's the problem. You turn around, and you look at the Baltimore Orioles. Tim, I disagree with you. Uh, let, 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 let's We never disagree. Let's have it out. I think the Orioles absolutely have the prospects to get it done. You give me D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, Gunnar Henderson, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. It's Grayson a Rodriguez is generally considered the number one pitching prospect. Gunnar Henderson is shooting up the list of, of top 25. But the problem with me is... I don't give up Rodriguez for anything right now. That literally, when you look at the Orioles' problems in the last five years, six years, they don't have any. any they, not only do they not have pitching, right, Tom? They don't have a frontline starter. He is the best opportunity at that coming through the line. And yes, I Why love the John Means hate. <laughs> What's that? Why the John Means hate? I love John Means actually, but we already know he's he's banged up. He's got the Tommy John, right? So yeah. Um, I love Soto. I like to watch him play. It's if you want to make a craft a deal around Rodriguez being out of it, I'm all ears. But I just don't think that they can bring something to Washington's liking. Plus, those two franchises, Tom, Tom dating back to when the Nationals popped up, 
they're not they're not exactly the best of friends. So let's just put it that way. No, and that's that's why it's funny because you see Juan Soto and you go, every team would want him. Yeah, you're right. Every team would. Now, who's going to pay him? Who's going to have the prospects? Who's going to basically go out there and, and show that your fan base, okay, this is the guy we want. This is what we're going after. Uh, Tim, there's about four teams. It really is in Major League Baseball. If you want to throw San Francisco in there, fine. But it really is in Major League Baseball. You got you got five teams that might go for Soto, and I can find a problem with all five. Mm-hmm. Well, let's do this. Instead of taking a break, we're just going to go through, Tom, because we're we're in the middle of it, and I don't want to break the, the momentum up here. So, yes, Soto, potentially. But we, we think more so in the next year. What about Judge, though? Let's talk about the right now, right, the 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 front runner for MVP, Aaron Judge, which, Tom, you know I got a ticket on that, 21st homer today. And what, in your mind, I talked to you about this when the rumors first started. In your mind, as a Yankee fan, you truly believe he's not going to be there next year, do you? I've said this over and over. I don't think so. Um, I have watched the New York Yankees penny pinch for years now. They didn't want to go over luxury tax. They didn't want to do this. They didn't want to do that. Their television contract alone pays all the salaries. So I, it's a different kind of Steinbrenner group. They are a Steinbrenner group that looks at things and they look at things uh, on their portfolio. They are businessmen. They're not baseball fans any longer. We've watched them penny pinch. We've watched them cut corners. We've watched them over time and time again go out there and just not make the right decision. Now, I said this early on. Aaron Judge should have gotten paid, but I understood why they weren't going to. And I'm a weird Yankee fan that understands it. I think they should have should pay him, and I think they still should. But I get it. Aaron Judge is 30 years old. He's asking for an eight-year contract. Eight years, $36 million a year. That's kind of what he wants. And I've we've heard uh, through leaking situation, right, um, that he wants about $40 million a year. And we're talking about, look, Aaron Judge wants about $40 million a year for eight years. It's the years that are the problem. Now, let's be let's be real here. Aaron Judge turned down seven years, $213 million. They offered him seven, right? I mean, it, 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 they didn't give him chump change here, Tim, right? So they offered him, uh, you know, $213 million for seven years. That's $30.5 million a year. He wants 36 to 40. It'll look great for this year. It'll look great for 2023, probably great for 2024. But the last five years of that contract, Tim, he's not going to be a $40 million player. He's a big guy that has had injuries, and we have watched time and time again. His athleticism is fantastic. It's going to go down when he turns 33 years old. You know, it's going to go down when he's thir- when he's 36. Here's the big comment I just keep thinking about in my head. Miguel Cabrera, Hall of Famer. Albert Pools, Hall of Famer. What, what else do they have in common? Massive drain on their team because of their terrible contracts in the last three years of their contract. So I don't think Aaron Judge is going to be a New York Yankee because I don't think that the Yankees pay him the 35 to $40 million. They offered him seven years, 213. I can see them offering him eight years, two fifty. So he's making about thirty-two million dollars a year. 
He wants eight years. He wants about $300 million. I just don't think the Yankees are going to go that distance. Who is going to go that distance, Tom? Right? We, we said Dodgers. You want to throw the California the California connection in there. You could put the Angels up there. But we already talked about <clears throat> Otani's contract coming due. Although the range or the or excuse me, the Angels will more than likely have Syndergaard's twenty million coming off the books. So we'll have to figure out the math on what Otani is going to get extended to. Um, but what about teams that are have been willing to spend money? What about a team like Texas, Tommy? That look, they went out and picked up Simeon and Seager. Is there money left on the books there? And then you talk about losing teams. And I don't know that Judge necessarily wants to play for a losing team or at least one that's really in the dumps like Pittsburgh, but well, they wouldn't pay for him anyways. What about a Detroit or a Baltimore? Teams that have spent money in the past, they're just not exactly uh, at that level right now to where they could be a World Series contender right out the gate. Speaking with people that know Aaron Judge, um, it's the Yankees or the Dodgers. He is a very likable guy. He's a marketable guy. So he wants to stay on L.A. or New York marketability, right? He wants to be able to be the nice guy. Everybody likes him, right? If he leaves the Yankees and he goes to Detroit, he loses marketability. He loses the likeness factor. If he goes to L.A., he can say, I went to Linden High School in California. I went to Cal State University in Fresno, right? I mean, I'm an L.A. kid. I wanted to go home. And he's going to be able to be marketed that way. And he's going to be able to be marketed on both coasts. And Yankee fans won't really hate him because it's not just for the money, right? I mean, that's the thing. It's not just for the money. He can sculpt this in a different way. There's no other team in contention, Tim. It is, and not even your Angels. It is the Yankees or Dodgers, and that's it. Um, That's the only two uniforms he will wear. And you know where I'm leaning. I think it's going to be the Dodgers. I, I I begrudgingly say that as a Yankee fan. I think we've all realized this for a year and a half now, Yankee fans. Uh, we're getting the last of Aaron Judge. Luckily, we're getting the best of him while he goes out the door. But he's going to be able to pull at his heartstrings. And he's going to be able to sculpt this in a way of, I'm going home. I've had a great time with the Yankees. This isn't all about money, but I'm going home. And he's going to get paid more by the Dodgers than anybody else. He wins the World Series. He wins the MVP. He has a huge postseason. There's no way that they just change their mind and give him what he wants. I mean, it's look, being a fan of the Orioles growing up, and I know, Tom, it's a different time and age, being a fan of the Orioles growing up, being a fan of the Padres growing up. You, know, we, you talked about Cabrera just a few minutes ago. These are guys, well, Cabrera didn't spend his whole, whole career there, but mostly, right? Look, the Ripkins and the Gwens and the Puckets, guys that retired with those teams, I know it's different. But when I look at Aaron Judge, I think to myself, homegrown, to get some a series, markability, you said it. This is a guy that has a section named after him, right? This is a guy that you said your son wasn't following baseball like he does now, but he knew who Aaron Judge was. How do you just let something like that walk out the door? And I'm not talking Freddie Freeman like Tommy because Aaron Judge is a completely different level than Freddie Freeman. The the way that they're going to let him walk is what, what we've already seen the Yankees start to do. The Yankees leaked. Hey, we offered him seven years, $213.5 million. We offered him 
$1.5 million a year. The Yankees already leaked that. Aaron Judge came back. I want eight years, close to $40 million. So what is the, the what is going to happen? Well, let's say he does all that. World Series, MVP, he does it all, right? All, all fantastic stuff, Tim. What's going to happen here is that Aaron Judge is going to go, well, I wanted 36 to 40. Now I want my 40. And the Yankees are going to go out there and they're going to say, we'll, we'll, we'll give you that 36, right? Well, we'll give you Mike Trout money. I'm going to give you 36 for eight. It's exactly what you asked for last year when we started the negotiations, right? Uh, you asked for, uh, you know, basically $288 million a year. We're, we're willing to give you close to 290. We're willing to give you $290 million a year. And Aaron Judge is going to turn around and he's going to say, I think uh, now I want more. I just proved what I could go get. And what I want is I want $325 million a year. And the Yankees are going to let him walk because the fans are going to go, man, he wants to be the highest paid player in baseball. Man, you know what? He's 30 years old. Uh, As great as he is, Yankees did offer him a good deal. The fact that we know the numbers that were exchanged to him makes me feel like the Yankees are already setting it up for him to walk because we know the numbers. They leaked the numbers. We know he turned down a really good contract. They didn't, He didn't even really kind of counter it. He just flat out turned it down. To me, that means Aaron Judge has already had his foot out the door. It also means that the New York Yankees are trying to do a little damage control. You and I are... I consider us baseball, very baseball knowledgeable, and I don't even, I saw there was a comparison on uh, Pujols when his contract with the Angels, and I don't even look at it that way either because Pujols wasn't homegrown. You're talking about a homegrown icon, right? Gwynn, Ripken, those guys, they were icons of that city. That's what Aaron Judge is right now, and I get it. An eight-year deal, he's 38. What is he going to be like in years 36, 37, 38? Obviously not as good as they are at years 29, 30, 31. But if he could win two more series in that eight years, it's well worth the money they're going to pay him. And I know we always talk about long contracts and how they, they hinder you, but it's it's New York, man. I, I don't know what the penny pinching's for. He's an icon. Lock him up and just be done with it, Tom. This is ridiculous. I'm not even a Yankee fan. I think it's the wrong move completely to let him leave. Tim, he's on pace to hit 62 home runs. 132 runs, 128 RBIs. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the thing. You know, somebody asked me what would you know what would it take for Aaron Judge for the Yankees to to basically just write him a blank check? And I said, you know, MVP won't do it. We've had MVPs in New York. MVP won't do it. World Series would be pretty damn hard to let him walk. And MVP and a World Series really tough. You know what would do it, Tim? If he brings the home run crown back, the American League home run crown back to New York. If Aaron Judge hits 62 home runs, you know, I I, I don't know if they could let him go. Hmm. Let's talk about your Yanks, Tommy. They are the hottest team in baseball right now. Five-game winning streak, 38-15. and 15. Just so you know, Tom, I'm rapidly approaching halfway of my 91 and a half wins. I'm just saying that. Um, six and a half up on Toronto, who's actually on a, on a nice little run as well. But when you look at the Yankee team, what what's 
impressed me the most, in, in especially in this day and age, is the pitching has just been. You know me. I'm a I'm a starting pitching guy. It's lights out right now. Just in this series against Detroit. Yes, Detroit. We get it. Cole, uh, Severino today, Cortez. We're talking about guys that carried no hitters through six, seven innings. That's how good that staff is right now. Yeah, look, Nestor, Nestor Cortez is phenomenal right now. Um, I just wrote an article on, on, on him. How He's still not in the top five for the AL Cy Young. Uh, when you're do- talking about odds, he's about 12 to 1. He, he hasn't done this, you know, for a half a year here, Tim. I mean, this is Nestor Cortez is the best pitcher in baseball. I, I, I don't think we can argue it right now. Derek Cole has turned it around. Montgomery, this whole staff. But remember, they changed their pitching coach. And this pitching coach not only helped them, he helped guys like Clay Holmes. He helped guys like Michael King. You know, he's gone out there and really revamped the New York Yankees. When you're talking about what Matt Blake has done, he should get every award you could possibly get. He is the best pitching coach in baseball. And we are seeing the results Time in and time out. And you look at Boston down at you gotta love it, Tom. All the the crap you took from Boston fans the last couple of years. How's it feel, right? You know what I mean? How's it feel to see the the Red Sox sitting down there? Oh, it feels great. I, I love their struggles. I love the fact that the guy that every Yankee fan seemingly wanted, and when we didn't get him, I was on the air with you, and I said, you know what, Tim, I feel good about it because the guy can't stay healthy, and that's Chris Sale. Still isn't pitching for the Boston Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox are going to be better. And I said this you know, before their three-game winning streak, and I said, look, the Boston Red Sox are going to be fine. They're going to be over 500 by the All-Star break. I mean, they're, they're still going to be in this thing, but they may have buried themselves pretty far down. I like the idea that Boston can't figure out what exactly is their problem. What exactly, what can we pinpoint to be the exact problem? That's what I like. I like that they're scrambling. There's no obvious choice here. What is the issue? They can't field too well. Their hitting goes to sleep at times. Their starting pitching needs a lot. Their relievers are are mediocre. They don't have a lot coming up from the farm system immediately. Yeah, Boston's right now right where they should be. Nice nice in fourth place. I really wish your Orioles would get a, a nice three, four-game winning streak so we can put back Boston back in the cellar. <laughs> thing with Boston is, Tom, if, if it doesn't turn around and they find themselves done, I think you do see Bogarts, and I think you see a guy like Nate Evaldi go. I think they, they get what they can at this point. Bogarts is a weird situation because I don't understand why. I, I really don't understand why they won't go out there and, and – Sign him. I, and that That's another – look, I know he's not judge, but he's a really good player. Why would you not sign him? Why is that even a kind of a question? And I think that they went out there and got his replacement. And Trevor Story, I think they're going to move Story back over to shortstop, and they're going to watch this guy just walk. Yeah. There's something that's not right about it. You're right. You're right. There's something not right about it. I don't get it either. My only thought is that we know the farm system is, is suffering. Maybe that's their – their intention or maybe they just don't think they can resign him. I don't I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I have no idea. So we'll go from the hottest team to the coldest team, my Angels, Tom. They are now 27 and 27. They are on a 10 game losing streak. This is it's just 
absolute head scratcher for me. In this 10-game losing streak, I've watched them blow three games at home to Toronto late in the innings. Then meet up with your Yankees and get just swept out out of uh, New York. Now Philadelphia has put up two on them and two games where they've just crushed the ball against the Angels. You talk about just in a month's time, what's happened? Not even a month, right, Tommy? Three weeks. What's happened to this Angels team? They went from a game, half a game up over the Astros, and now seven and a half back in the West. Mike Trout is over twenty-three. You, you texted me that stat, and I almost fell off my chair. Um, Shohei Otani, how's he doing this year, Tim? Yeah, you Not know sure. everybody wants. By the way, he's still the MVP favorite. <laughs> which is, is laughable to me. He's still the MVP favorite. I told you guys before the year, my fear was Shohei Otani is about a 250 hitter. I overshot it, Tim. He's a 240 hitter right now. I, I mean, you know, it, it, when you rely upon your stars to be your stars, and what Shohei Otani is doing is just not star-like. Rendon, he doesn't look good. Shohei Otani is on, on pace for solid numbers. You're on pace with 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, 100 runs, uh, but a 240 average. That, that's that's got to hurt when you're dealing with, okay, well, you know, Anthony Rendon, former MVP. He's batting 242, Tim. He's got five homers, and now he's out for the next two weeks. I mean, the, the Angels put all their eggs in the basket of, we're just going to go out there, collect hitting talent, and just want them to kind of carry the day. Andrew Velasquez is out there. Rendifo's out there. Tyler Wade is out there. I mean, you're relying upon players that you didn't go pay because guys like Anthony Rendon, Upton, who was released, just didn't get it done. And, you know, if if Otani and Trout are in a little slump, I know Trout's in a big slump, but if Otani and Trout are in a little slump and they take a step back, Man, these are the kind of just spirals you could go down. Rendon, Tom, thirty-eight million dollars. That's this year's salary. So, thirty-eight million. That. He's batting two forty-two with five homers. Yeah. And what we saw in this this streak, bullpen abandoned them. Then the starting pitching got rocked, and now the team can't hit. It's like literally everything that could happen to a baseball team happened within this ten to twelve games uh, sitting there, and now they find themselves trailing the wrong team. So, you know, when we did our previews, of course, I picked Houston to win because I didn't think the Angel pitching was going to last. It, it isn't completely falling apart, Tom, but it's getting there. That's what worries me. Um, I don't know. I don't. It's easy to say, well, they got to win the next game, right? You really can't say that right now because what do you base it on? They just they, they can't do anything right right now. I don't know what tomorrow they got. So they got probably their best, their best pitcher in Sandoval this season going, but you have to think the bats will wake up, but you just can never go to the window thinking that. I mean, that's how you get end up in the poorhouse real quick. Yeah, it, it's you don't have a stopper, and that's kind of the problem when you're sitting back and you're talking about uh, you know an all-hitting team. That guy that you go, okay, here's a stopper. Syndergaard looked bad. Detmers is still too young to be that guy. They don't have that guy. By the way, Tim, I looked it up while we were talking. Anthony Rendon, you want to talk about seven-year contracts? Anthony Rendon is making $245 million, seven-year deal. How ridiculous is that? Yeah. Well, they had to they had to take the place of the pool host deal because that was expiring, so they needed one to take that place of, Tom. 
Yeah. So we, we just talked, but we just talked about a two hundred and fifty million dollar deal, right? And and what Aaron Judge wants and what he could potentially get and everything else. Uh, he 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 basically wants Anthony Rendon money, mm-hmm. and look at what Rendon's turned into. couple minutes tom we're gonna get out of here let's just look at the central since we'll talk national league tomorrow night twins up four and a half over the guardians and then the white Sox still under 500 five games out i look the twins seem like every year they, they get out to a nice start and then have to either a hold on for a wild card bid where they end up being a first round exit or just miss the cut I'm not necessarily worried about the guardians offensively i don't think that they're going to be there at the end although the pitching has been decent it's the White Sox, the team that we all thought would be. A lot of people haven't won the series, Tom. A lot of people haven't been right there at the end with the Yankees. 24-27, and 27, and they've given up 60 runs more than they've scored. Tim, the White Sox, though, here's the thing. We didn't mention them during trade, uh, you know, the trade conversations, because this week, just yesterday, Lance Lynn pitched in a minor league game and Eloy Jimenez pitched uh, hit in a minor league game. That's some pretty big additions. Lance Lynn was an MVP candidate last year, and Eloy Jimenez comes back. That's why I'm not panicking about the White Sox at all. They're three games under 500. They are now going to be without Tim Anderson for about a month. Eloy Jimenez, who is right in the middle of that lineup, uh, is coming back. Lance Lynn is coming back. You got to think about this. Lance Lynn has to add three to four wins Eloy Jimenez is good for two two or three wins. You're adding six, seven wins. Let's just tack on six wins. They're basically tied with the Twins, right? Right. So, you know, I'm looking at this. Just don't bury yourself. Stay close for the next month, and you go into mid-July. You go into, to, you know, July 15th, that all-star break right there, right right in mid-July, and you have Eloy Jimenez in the, in the lineup, Tim Anderson back healthy, and Lance Lynn pitching. White Sox still win this division. Tom, let everybody know what you what you ahead, do, Tim. how often you do it, because you're doing some all the time. Tom Barton Sports crushing it. I know you got a big card on deck for tomorrow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have a real interesting um, interview tomorrow, Sports Garden Network on Wanna Bet Show, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I'm talking to uh, Dan Good, the author for the Ken Caminetti and Steroid Confession book. That'll be an interesting story, and we're going to get into a lot of the betting props, a lot of NBA props that I see out there. Go check me out there. Check me out at TomBartonSports.com. Still rocking and rolling. Absolutely dominating over the past 15 months. I haven't had a losing month over the last 15 months. Tom Barton Sports over on Twitter. Tom Barton Sports over on YouTube. And go check out the podcast, Believe in the Ivy League, Believe in Betting, and Wagering Week. Tommy, always awesome. Tomorrow night, 10 o'clock. We'll do it again. All right. Talk to you guys tomorrow night. Tom Barton, TomBartonSports.com. For Mateo, for Tim Unglesby, let's have a great rest of your Saturday night. We'll talk to you tomorrow night at 10 o'clock right here on Fox Sports Radio. Las Vegas, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. Have a great sports Sunday. Good night. The way I play, it's calculated. Gonna take the 